Lord, you are worthy. You are holy. God, we worship you. We glorify your name, Jesus. Lord, we glorify your name, my God. Worthy are you, holy are you. Lord, I pray this morning, God, as you... As we go where you ask us to go, Lord, I pray that we see you deeper and deeper this morning. Lord, give us the understanding in our heart just how important you are. God, give us the understanding in our heart just how important the cross is. Just just how incredible what took place there, Lord. God, this morning I pray that we understand the importance of your kingdom, that we understand the size and the magnitude of your kingdom this morning. Lord, as we come, as we come this morning with our hands open, with our hearts ready to receive of you, God, I ask, Lord, that you remove the selfishness from our heart. Remove the self-centeredness from our heart, Lord, and let us see you in the fullness of who you are, God. Let us come with passion in our hearts. Let us come with an earnest desire to see you lifted up, God. Lord, we love you. We honor you, Jesus. And in your beautiful name, Lord, we pray. Amen. I want to I want to stop there and and we're going to come back into worship, but I I just feel extraordinarily challenged as to where God is going to lead us this morning, but also to not just, and and for myself included, to not just come and to sing a song just because we have to sing a song. But while we're praying this morning, we're sitting up in the room and we can see out onto the the road. And I, I watched this guy pull over in his car and he had kids in the back of the car and it was raining and he pulled over and he got out of the car and he lit a cigarette and he stood in the rain and he smoked that cigarette like it was the last cigarette on earth. And he could tell that he was anxious to get back in the car to be with his kids, but he puffed it and he puffed it and he puffed it. And he mustn't have smoked the whole thing and then he put it out and he got back in the car and he drove away. And I said to the guys, man, imagine if we could get the church that keen on being in the presence of God, that in the pouring rain they would get out of their car to just be with him that in the uncomfortability of life, they would say, I need this right now. More than anything, I need this right now. That their body would long, would be, would go into withdrawals without having spent time with the Father, without having spent time in the presence of the King. And I want to challenge us this morning because I had to sit through this challenge while I prepared this and while I went through Ephesians. And I want, to, I want to bring it to us, then go back into worship. That we're singing, Lord, highest praises be to you. Highest praises be to you. The highest thing we can conjure up, Lord, we're giving it to you. What does that look like? What does that mean? Is that more than just words on a page? Am I really giving him my, and I'm not trying to condemn us. I'm trying to encourage us into more of him. That the deeper we go into Him, the more, the, the more understanding in our life we have, the more direction, the more path, the more flow we have, the further and further we go into Him. 
I had someone say to me, why, why are you so passionate about changing all the time and going more and going more? Because that's where freedom is. The deeper into Him we go, the further into freedom we go. And even Paul, who was a, a, an apostle that wrote most of the New Testament, said, I am like the least, I am like the least of the saints. He was writing from this position of there's more to be had. There's more to go into. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into a, I'm going to preach and then we're going to go back into worship and hopefully it gives us a foundation to do that. Is that okay? Is everyone with me? Just a small nod. Yes. Just a, a quiet nod. Before we go into the sound, I want to just do two little things. The first one is the paintings. I'm going to get Jess to explain the pictures because I think it's, it's cool as to where we're going. It's an in, incredible encouragement as to where we are heading as a people. Um, ben put to Coco and I that we have a lot of blank walls in this place. Um, and Coco and I kind of set out on this journey to go, we know, or me a, a lot, we don't just do things because we're supposed to. Um, I really like to connect with that deep why. And I think a bunch of us have been talking about how uh, we're trying to connect and bring unity in this city. And Ben's been going through Ephesians, and I think it's in Ephesians 4, it talks about we're one body, one spirit, one faith, one God, one baptism. Um, and so Coco and I actually went around and took photos of all the different churches. Obviously there's only nine, but those nine actually create a circle from Oxenford all the way down to Burley and back up. And it was very surreal just going to them and going, these are our cousins, our brothers and sisters that we've never met that are doing the same thing that we are. And we realized on that journey that these are the stakes in the ground that are creating that holy ground, that each Sunday or week during the week, we're creating that holy ground as one people. And I think it's just there as a reminder that no matter who you are, the walks of life you've been in, whether you, you believe in a lot of different things, as long as you believe that Jesus died and rose again and that he's seated in heaven, you're doing what we're doing and we're building that kingdom together. And so that's just our reminder for that. The reason I wanted Jess to share that is that, you know, when she put that forward and she wrote out, hey, this is what we want to do, it was an encouragement to me to realize that, that we're trying to achieve something here. That we're trying to actually go somewhere and do something that we believe God is asking us to do. And I have wrestled for a long time about not just creating a club, not just creating a, a place that we come to in order to, to get filled up and get encouraged and go back out. We're not just creating a, a, a job for myself or for Jess or for anyone else who works here. That's not what we're here to do. That we actually have to, as a people, be encouraged to change and to actually be effective in the kingdom of God. That the more, the more I realize we, we, we actually have to be somebody. The church actually has to look like something. The church actually has to, to, to go and actually begin to operate as the body. That we can't just be the body. We are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. When, when, when Christ walked with the disciples, He operated. He changed environments. He moved. 
he, he, when, when he came into contact with people, they were changed, they were moved. When he went from town to town, each town he went into, the place was changed. That's who we become now. That this is not just our patch of grass and look out for our patch of grass. This is the kingdom of God, the body of Christ beginning to work and operate together in unison, in unity, to say we want to do something in this city. I spoke last week about two kingdoms colliding, that we want to be a people who operate in the kingdom of God, but it's going to collide with the kingdom of this world. And it's going to look like something. It's going to be messy. It's going to be unusual. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be different. But the kingdom of God is what we want to see change and grip and move a people. That the more, the more and more I see the church operating, the more excited I get to be like, it just doesn't matter. Just get out there and be the body like we're supposed to be. And I want to challenge us this morning. Because I heard this verse and I, I, read, I read this verse and I thought, oh, I've not quite heard that like that before. And when it's in the little red writing, you get a little bit nervous. Right, you get a little bit nervous because it's in red writing. And I can't, I can't Greek, Hebrew or homebrew my way out of what it says. Because it's there, it's in plain red. I've got to work it out, I've got to read something. Paul says they have become, uh, Ephesians 4, 19, 21, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that it's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. It's not the way you heard about Christ. It's not what you learned. Paul is saying that the... the um, the Gentiles were operating in a way that they never knew Christ. That's not what we showed you. That's what Paul's saying. They are living a way that that's not Christ. That's not what you've been taught. He's challenging them to their core. You're living the way you want to live because you're greedy and you're calloused. You're in a position where it's all about M.E. It's a self-centeredness. And Paul says, that's not the Christ that you learned. That's not what I came to teach you. That's not what's been revealed in the King. This is what's been revealed. And as I was praying, I asked God, Lord, what's the Christ that we've learned? What's the Christ that we've learned? Who's the capstone? And he took me to this verse. I nearly fell off my chair. Matthew 10, chapter 10, verse 34 to 36. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In red letters, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What a sword does is it cuts it separates one from the other. It removes one half and the other half. 
it comes and there's no there's no being in the middle on a sword if you're in the middle on the sword you're in a danger zone because you're going to get cut so Jesus comes and he says I didn't come to make this a peaceful hug fest where everything's okay we just love each other and we'll get on with it he says I come with a sword to separate the world from my kingdom from those people to my people I come to say there's a way of life for you to live there's a position for us to take and I come with a sword and trust me if you put anything above me you're not worthy of me If you put anything above me, you are not worthy of me. I was wrecked during the week. Lord, what does that mean? What what have I put above you? What is it, Lord? And people will go, well, you can't think like that because then you'll enter into this, this place of condemnation. No, there's freedom in it because I start realizing what I've put on a pedestal that shouldn't be there. I start realizing that that's the error of my way. That's what's more important than everything. But when I make Christ what the, the most important in my life, when I make Him the centerpiece, all the other things fall into alignment. All the other things start to make sense. I've come with a sword to separate one kingdom from the other. I've come with a sword to divide the things. This is what Jesus says. Then we sing that song um when all the things of the earth go strangely dim What's the start of that song Turn your eyes on Jesus and everything else will go strangely dim Everything else will go strangely dim That's what Jesus is saying I haven't come to bring peace I haven't come to make this an easy walk in the park for you. I haven't come for your benefit to make you feel excited and pumped up. I brought you back into my fold. I brought you back into my family. I love you with all that I am, but it's time for you to set aside everything else and put me in the center. It's time for me to be the one. And trust me, I get to sit with a lot of people. I get to hear a lot of different reasons and some much better than others. But let me tell you we all have reasons why we can't put Christ in the center. We all have that thing. But God is saying to us as a people now it's time my people to arise and shine set your light on the hill set your life before me. And I was praying during the week and saying God I've preached the same line for the last 6 weeks. but I've been I haven't moved from Ephesians this is what Paul says again and again and again and again he keeps positioning them come back to me come back to me come back to me you foolish galatians you Ephesians to the Corinthians to the Romans it's the same message set your heart on me set your center on me and it won't matter what your job looks like it won't matter what your home life looks like it won't matter what the things around you will they change in an instant no but there will be there will be a position of god moving in that situation when i remove the nonsense and i center him and say lord it's all about you i don't know how many how many churches have preached this this verse but I, it's a challenging one 
Because what we want to do is come through the doors and we want to get refreshed. We want to feel safe. We want it to be a hospital of which it is and of which it can be. But the problem is, is that we don't teach each other to get better. We don't teach each other to get better. So when God comes and He says, I've come with a sword to separate the two worlds, where do you want to live? It's like the verse where it talks about, if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. And we've heard that preach that God's going to spit you out. I don't think that's, that's what He's saying. It says that He will vomit. That word is, means to vomit. But what it means is it makes the body sick. Because there were two rivers, one flowed that was fresh and cool and it was for drinking. The other flowed and it was warm and salty and it was for healing the body. And where the two rivers met, there became a lukewarm pool that was good for nothing. It didn't heal the body and it didn't replenish the body. So what God is actually saying in that verse, which I don't know where it is because I didn't put it in my notes. But what he's saying in that verse is that I've called you to be my body. But in your partiality, in your lukewarm You're not helping the body. You're actually making the body sick. You're making the body of Christ sick. Jess and I were talking about this during the week and she came up with this incredible cat. What a machine back there. Revelation 3.6. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I think you Yeah. Jess made this incredible point during the week. She said, you know, when, when in a hospital, everyone remains sick. But in a home, there's a reality of people getting around that sick person to raise them up, put them back on their feet, strengthen them, and get them back to being who they're meant to be. Now, there is a reality of the church looking like a hospital, absolutely. But it's also, I said last week, a school at an airport. There is a reality of us to, to come in, to be built up, encouraged, strengthened, to go from strength to strength, not from sickness to wellness, back to sickness, from strength to strength. But when we go somewhere, we want to be strengthened and built up and encouraged. Paul continues on. He says to put Ephesians 4, 22 to 23, He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to you, to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. To put off your old self. Who's he asking to do that? Us. He's saying you have to put off your old self. You have to decide, God, in your strength, through you, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to change my life. And being honest with yourself. Do you want to change your life? Yes or no? Yes, then let me help you. But you've got to want to change. You've got to want to change. I feel passionate about this because 
when I sit with older church leaders and I hear their hearts saying, we've been doing the same thing for 20 years, 30 years. I drive away in my car and I pray, Lord, please, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be there in 30 years. I'm going to give it everything I've got to change it now. And if it falls over, then I can use five years and I'll go and do something else. But I don't want to get 20 years down the track and have the same people going around, the same merry-go-round. Because every time I open the Scriptures, I see Paul challenge the people. I see Jesus stand before a multitude and say, this is the truth. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all walk away. And he says, did I preach it wrong? Right, he gave them truth to change their life because he knew it was important. He knew that you can't stay where you are because where you are won't get you where God wants to take you. He's saying, come on, put off your old self. I've explained this so many times and I, and I know you understand it, but there's, there's the, the um, spirit, soul, body, right? And when we get saved, it's our spirit that gets saved, but there's still a soul, our mind, will, and emotion that ticks over and ticks over. It's the old way of living. We have to turn it off. We have to start to recognize that's not God. That's not God for my life. That's not the kingdom of heaven that's speaking right now. That's not the kingdom that's leading me in that direction. You're too old. You're too young. You don't speak eloquently enough. You don't know your scriptures well enough. Your prayer life isn't great. You don't know your prayers. You don't pray as well as the guy at the front does. You don't this. You don't that. No one wants to hear you sing. No one wants to hear you speak. You're never going to get that guy saved. When you start realizing none of this is from heaven. None of this is from the kingdom of which we're supposed to live. It's all the old way of thinking. It's all the old life. And I have to take that off and set it aside and put on my new life. Put on who God says I am. What does he say that I am? And then I have to start to live from that place. I have to start to understand that's me. That's me. That's who God made me to be. That's how I want to operate. That's where I want to be. And sometimes we get it wrong and it's okay because God's a redemptive God. Jesus is a redemptive God. He will redeem you all the time. But we've got to come back in and say, Lord, set my pride aside. I didn't do it very good there. I didn't do it very good there. Teach me, Lord, because I want to live out of who I am, not who I used to be. But you've got to make the decision. I'm going to get to this in a few weeks, but when Paul talks about the armor of God, one of the things he tells us to put on is what? The helmet of salvation. Do you know why he tells us to put a helmet on? Because that's our, our soul. That's our mind, will, and emotions. He's saying, protect your thinking. Protect your thinking and go back to who you are in His salvation. That's where you live from. Brad used to say this all the time. It's one of the first things that I, when I first met Brad that really challenged me in the way he, he spoke about this. But he says, you know, sometimes we live nestled at the foot of the cross and we hold on to that old rugged cross 
But Jesus came through the cross. He died and he rose again and he ascended into power. We have to come through the cross. We have to come through in revelation, through the cross. If you've got the same thing that's been troubling you again and again and again and again, I get a little bit of healing and then I go backwards. And then I get a little bit of healing and then I go backwards. I get a little bit of come through, then I go backwards. It's because you've not shifted your understanding as to who you are in that part of your life. So I have to I have to come before God in a relationship with Him, get on my knees and say, Lord, bring me through the cross in this. I can't keep saying I don't have a very good understanding of who I am, a great self-position. Then go to the Father. Go to the cross. Go through the cross in that. Now, I know who I am. I know that I know that I know. I've had to deal with this in a huge way. And I've said this before, when you're a young guy going into a room of predominantly older people who have been in church, leading churches 20, 30 years, I have to go in understanding the authority that I've been given. And at times it may seem like arrogance. But it's as I know who my father's made me to be. And I will sit in the position of authority that he's given me. And I will not apologize for it. Because He has made me to be that. I've come through the cross to understand the position that He's given me. Paul is calling the church in Ephesus to stop living the old way and start living out of who they really are. Stop listening to the lies of the past. Stop listening to the voice that's trying to to pull you off track and start living in who you're meant to be. Matthew 10, 3. I have Matthew 10, 390. That's not right. So I don't know. It's Matthew 3, I think 9 to 10. I think there's a one missing. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, Jesus spoke with very, 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 very challenging language to say, let go of yourself and take on to me. Let go of yourself and take on to me. When you lose yourself, you will find the fullness of me. James, we've been through James. You know what it says in James? James 4 to 8. 4, 8, chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Engage, engage with God and he will engage with you. Engage with God and he will engage with you. Draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. Why is that so important? Because in the world we live in today, we have created a culture where we just go, well, God's not listening to me. I asked for it. I've gone to church. I've done my part. 
Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to him. Draw near to him. Draw near to him. In everything we do, draw near to him. But Ben, I don't know what that means. Then like a child, go before the Father. Start to block out and map out a position of your life where you draw near to him. On Thursday night, we I was going to get Kat to come and share, but we just didn't go there. So we were, Kat will share next week. You have not gotten away. But on Thursday night, we've been having incredible conversations around prayer. And if you can, come. They are phenomenal. We are actually, there's been some amazing insight and revelation being given in those times. But we were chatting on Thursday night and there came this, this I don't even remember who said it, but we were talking about the fact that you have to actually give yourself, there's, there's elements of how we pray with God. And there was a picture used with a husband and a wife that a husband and wife, even though they see each other every day, even though they communicate when they wake up, good morning, how are you, good, off to work, come home, bit of conversation around the dinner, then we watch a TV show, then there's a bit of conversation before bed. But you still have to map out time to sit and have intentional conversation with your wife. You talk all day, every day. You're messaging, you're calling, but there's still that intentional time that I want to map out with my wife. Why? Because I want to get to know you deeper. I want to get to know you more. So when we say, well, do you have time with God? Yeah, I pray. I talk to Him every day. Now, do you have intentional, mapped out, relationship-building time with the Father? I was challenged by this during the week in a big way. Because the Bible says, The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, but ye, but you, I went to King James Version because it explains it in a, in a much better way. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should shew forth, bring forth the praises of God who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And it's reiterated in Revelation by John, Revelation 1, 5 to 6. From Christ, he says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of kings of the earth, unto him, because of him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he has made us kings and priests, unto God and His Father. To Him be the glory of dominion forever and ever. Do you want to know why Jesus is the King of Kings? Because He's made us kings. He's made us priests. Royal priests. A royal priesthood. And I was listening to a, a friend from Adelaide, Todd Weatherly, on a, on a podcast. And he said, it's challenging to me that we will always use that verse when we want to go and get a job or something. We're royal priests. But he said, but do you know what a priest does? In the olden Jewish understanding, a priest would cleanse himself. A priest would fast and pray before he came into the presence of God. A, a, a priest sacrificed his entire life. A priest would bring with him an animal sacrifice and risk death to go into the Holy of Holies. A priest was a person who gave themselves wholly unto God. We like to be priests when it comes to what we might get. But we don't like to be priests when it comes to 
what we have to give, then we say, no, we're kings. Oh, I've got to give something? No, I'm a king. I get to get something? Oh, I'll be a priest. You don't get to choose. We are kings and priests. Then he takes it a little bit further and he reads this verse from, from Exodus 28, chapter 1. God talking to Moses, he says, Take take thou unto thee, bring to me Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel. Moses, go and get your brother Aaron and his kids. Bring them to me. Why? So that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. That he may minister to me. God is asking Aaron, I want him to come and minister to me. God wants his children to minister to him. That when we come into worship, when we come before the king, he's saying, I still want you, my kids, to minister to me. I know some of you parents would have had the the moment where your kid comes and says, Mom, Dad, I love you. And there's a, there's a heart-melting moment. Can we agree with that? Does that happen? There's a heart-melting moment, right? My son, he just told me he loves me. Daddy, I love you. Mommy, I love you. Thank you. And there's this, there's this moment. You know what that is? That's the son ministering to the, to the parents. That's the, that's the children ministering to the parents. What God is saying to us is, my kids, I want you to come and minister to me. When we come in worship, we come to minister to God. So this morning when we're singing, when we're singing all our praise, all our honour, we don't do that lightly like, come on, come on guys, next song. Or come on guys, there's not much music going on. When's the big pump up moment? When do we shout and scream and clap? The reality is, is that we come to minister to the Father. We come to fill His room with incense. So when we stand here and we praise all our honour, God, all our glory to you, it's like your son, your daughter coming and saying, Daddy, Mommy, I love you. We're ministering to him as royal priests. Our life lived as kings and priests. We have to start to uphold that label that God gives us. We have to start to stepping in to that place and that position that God gives us. It's rainy outside. It's the end of the week. We're tired. It's cozy at home. Yet you guys all come as priests to say, no, there's a job for me to do. There's there's ministry for me to do to the Father. God, I want to come and exalt you with my brothers and sisters. I want to come not in the comfort of myself, but I want to step out of the comforts that I'm in to come and to minister to you. God, because you are worthy. You are holy. These aren't just words, but it is all that you are. You are a chosen generation of royal priests. Bring Aaron to come and minister to me. We are sons and servants. We are kings and priests. Not one or the other. Not one when it suits me and one when it doesn't. We give all of ourselves. When we lose our life, we find it in him. Paul finishes off Ephesians 25, uh, sorry, 4, 25 to 27. And I want to end with this for us to go back into worship with this picture. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. We've heard this time and time and time and time again in, in, from sermons to Christian circles that we allow a foothold of the enemy. The small things grow, become big things. There's this saying in, in um, psychology circles that, and, and Jordan Peterson harps on it a lot, that each person or we carry that there's, there's a potential for us to one day have to fight a dragon. That there's, there's areas in our life where we will come up against an adversary and we have to fight that adversary. And the position in which we are in, in our mind and in who we are, depends on whether or not we will beat that adversary or the adversary beats us. Right, there's this in, in just about every movie, we have to go to this low place where we have to fight the things that are trying to destroy us. Pinocchio goes into the belly of the whale, Hercules has to fight that big scary dragon thing. Superman has his, his kryptonite or the thing. Every story we have has this has this enemy. And a guy named Daniel Kalender writes in his book How to Defeat Dragons. There's a chapter in there called How to Kill your baby dragon, and he uses it as a as a um, a fancy English word that I can't remember <laughs> as a ploy on on um, the movie How to Train Your Dragon. And he says what we've taught people to do is to run away from the small things that are hurting us, rather than tackling them straight away. To shifting our view that when a little dragon is in our life, a little problem. We're to take it out so that it doesn't grow into a big dragon, grow into a big problem. That that's what Paul is doing in the Ephesians. He's saying, wrestle those little things before you that are taking your attention away. Remove them and watch what your life will become. Watch what your life will become. Paul shows this in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says, When we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive, we have to learn how to realize who we are, take off our old self, take every thought captive, put on our new self. Colossians 3.1 shows us how to do that. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are now above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind of things that are above, not of things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ God. We have to start learning to set our mind on things that are above. I want to I do a quick thought experiment with you and then we're going to go into worship. Because the biggest challenge we have as a people to give ourselves holy or to minister to God, to be priest, is but what's in it for me, right? We've, we've learned and grown, grown up in a world that it's all internal. It's all about what's going to be for me. Can I be friends with Marcus? Is there going to be something good for me in it? That's the world we've grown up in, right? To the point that we've, we've created church in the same manner. But God says, when you let all of that go and focus on me, everything will be given to you. All your life will be given to you. You will find the reality of life. And I want to show you how easily it works. 
in your imagination, in your imagination, they do this in, um, in like when you sit with a psychologist or a, a counsellor, they will help you do this. So in your imagination now, picture a purple elephant for me. Picture a purple elephant. Get it in your, in your head, the colour, the size. Think about what it would look like in this room, how it would fit in this room, how it would smell, what it would look like. Right? Picture the elephant. Now picture yourself being able to climb up on the elephant. You can see it, you can smell it, you can feel it. You're sitting on it. Okay? Now open your eyes. Stop thinking about the elephant. You can't. Right? Because now it's there. It's the biggest thing we're thinking about. Because I've spoken about it and I've talked about it and I've told you about it. It's going to be really hard. Some of you are trying to put shoes on it and do different things with it. Right? Because it's in our brain still. Me telling you just stop thinking about it doesn't work. But let me ask you a question. What colour is the Statue of Liberty in America? What colour is it? Green. Green-ish. Right? A teal green. What hand is it holding up? It's right hand or it's left hand? It's right hand? What's it holding in its hand? A torch, right? Is it, a, is, is it a female or a male? It's a female. Lady Liberty, right? Where's the pink elephant? It's gone. It's gone. Because you had to think about something else. So you, the primary position of your brain, what was right in the center was the elephant. But then I made you think about something else and you had to move it to the side to bring in something else. So you put the other thought at the center. All of a sudden, the pink elephant becomes nothing. So when the Bible says, set your eyes on things that are above, what's God trying to do? Position you in the most important part of your brain. Why? So everything else becomes strangely dim. Because when I center my eyes on you, God, nothing else matters. There's not a pink elephant in the world that can replace the beauty and the glory and the majesty of King Jesus. So what happens is it's really easy for us in this place to set our eyes on God. That's why we love church. Because I feel so amazing. Nothing else seems to worry me. For two hours, I get to center it on Him. But when I walk out those doors, everything comes flooding back because you don't know how to center Christ in your thoughts out in the world because we've not learned and we've not taught it. So a part, of our, a part of our training on Thursday nights in prayer and things is to learn how to center ourselves so when we come in on a Sunday morning and we sing a song and we say, Lord, all that you are, and it takes you a while to get off ourselves and get onto him, but once we do, it's incredible. Who was here last week? And, and the worship last week, was it not mind-changing, revolutionary? Do you know why? Because Coco and Sean and Jeremy, I think, did a phenomenal job to get your focus off the things of the world and they got you to focus on Christ. And in that moment, nothing else mattered. So when we come to God and we come with all that we are to minister to Him, what we're saying is, Lord, I will give you all that I am because I'm wholly focused on You. Does that make sense? So when the Bible says, take off your old self, God is saying, forget about the old self. 
Learn what the Bible says your new self is so that you can quote it again and again and again. You can read it. You can reread it. You can put it in the center of your mind so it all becomes about Him. So at my job, at my workplace, everywhere that I am, it becomes about Him. Lord, I give you all that I am. So we're going to go back into worship now. We're going to go back into worship, but I want us to focus on Him. I want us to see who He is. Whatever it is that's going on in your life right now, whatever it is, whether you're tired, whether you're exhausted, whether you just can't bring yourself to, I want you just to take a moment to say, God, I want you to be the center of my mind. I want you to be the position of who I worship, how I worship, what I worship. Caroline, do you want to come and just quickly share that vision you had in the dream? Hey. Um, well, if you can picture a boat now, like a big vessel, and um, it's, it's heading out into the ocean, and um, the waves are just starting to turn the boat a little bit, so, you know, we're all standing on the deck and we're, like, moving around a little bit like that to balance with these waves. And, um, and then I saw the ship leading us into a storm, okay? The clouds were really grey and it was uh, like an angry storm and the waves were picking up and it was getting higher and higher. And, um, and then I felt the Lord say that um, uh, a lot of people um, are tempted to jump off the boat at this time. And the reason they want to jump off the boat is because they see the storm coming and they want to go back into, as Ben said, their own thinking. They want to go back into, oh, this is, this is hard, this is difficult, this is not what I expected, this is a storm. I can fix it, I'll do it, I'll whatever. They do it all in their own strength not and not trusting 100% on, on Jesus, on the Father to fix it and to take us through. But what the Lord was saying in that is that he's going to take us through the storm. We just have to hang on and we have to believe that he's not asleep. Even if he is asleep, he knows. Jesus is not asleep in the bottom of the boat, unable to fix it. Just he may it may sound like he's asleep because maybe you can't hear his voice at the moment, but he's very well aware. And what he said to those disciples, um, you know, you of little faith. What he's saying is, just rise up in faith, knowing that he's got it. He can take us through that. Though ten thousand may fall at your side, not one will come near you. That's what he's saying. We can just stay on the boat and know that he has it. Yeah, it's awesome. So why don't we stand? If you would like to come and position yourself or fill some of this space at the front, you can do so. Don't feel you have to. You can do that if you'd like. But just for a moment, set aside everything that's around you. Set aside maybe the the tiredness, the thoughts of lunch, the smell of coffee. Just set that aside just for a moment. Shift your thinking Take off your old self and put it on Him. Minister to God. Come and minister to Him.